Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Oh, we have a big show for you today, and I want you to be a part of it. The number is 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N. Facebook and Twitter, that is how you get in touch with us. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. Use that hashtag, S-G-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates, that's where you can hear us. We have a lot to talk about. Obviously, the NHL playoffs are right on everyone's lips. Look, Stanley Cup is right around the corner. NBA playoffs, here we go, guys. We're down to the nitty-gritty here. We're talking about these playoff teams, and we're going to get into the NBA playoffs for sure. I have some interesting stuff about Aaron Rodgers. All of a sudden, there's a new groundswell. Well, Aaron Rodgers, what did he do? Oh, you know what? He, He bought a golf thing in Wisconsin. So that must mean he's staying. All right, we'll get into that and my thoughts on that. We have Jeremy Evans coming on. Uh, he is a sports lawyer. He's going to talk to us about the NCAA and the ruling that the Supreme Court brought down. And look, it was a unanimous ruling. This is going to have ripple effects. I want to exactly get what kind of ripple effects. So we'll talk to Jeremy about that. But we're going to start it off. We're going to talk a little New York Yankees. Look, they're on everyone's lips. All of a sudden, the Yankees now playing well. They're the team that's going to be looking to make big trades. They have some guys coming back that are big-time guys. Luke Voigt's one of them. Here he comes. The Yankees are still not scoring, but the sticky stuff might help them. We know all that. Okay. We're going to get into it with the man that knows the Yankees better than just about anybody else on the planet. Guys, a very special guest today. We have Michael Kay on the show, New York Yankees broadcaster. You know that. ESPN New York sports radio personality. I would say the number one show in ESPN uh, for New York, that's for sure. Host of Yes's Emmy-winning award television show, Center Stage. And he's got a new book, and the book is great. Center Stage my most fascinating interviews from A-Rod to Jay-Z. What I love about the book, guys, is the commentary that Michael Kay always puts in. So we're going to ask him about that. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, the first thing I want to ask you, because the show does have that um, that feel of almost an inside the actor's studio, and it's so well put together and so well thought up. Did you come up with this and go to the network, or did the network come to you with this idea? Well, when they started the Yes Network, um, John J. Filippelli, a longtime television executive, was hired by George Steinbrenner to put the Yankee broadcast together. And then a month into putting the Yankee broadcast together, he was then entrusted and told, oh, by the way, you have to do all the other programming, too. So he freaked out. You know, he started to panic, and he was sitting in a diner just like thinking of ideas for shows. And w- one of the things he wrote down, it's ironic that you mentioned it, is he wrote down Inside the Actor's Studio for Sports. And that became center stage. So I ended up being hired to do that as well as a play-by-play for the Yankees. And uh, 20 years later, 240 guests, and, and, and now a book was spawned out of that little cocktail napkin. I think it's great that you said Inside the Actor's Studio for Sports, but this has gone beyond sports. It really has, and that's kind of the cool thing. Look, I know, <laughs> I have an idea of what your Rolodex must look like, but it is fantastic, the, the talent that you guys get, and the way that you're able to say, okay, we're on a sports network where it's a sports show, But let's talk about everything else. When did it start to become, you know what, it doesn't have to be just about sports. People just want to hear Michael Kay uh, giving a good interview to guys that are somewhat connected to sports. Well, you know, I found out um, when I first got the gig is because, and this is very complicated, but because of the agreements with cable carriers, right, distributors, if 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 a network is a sports network, anything on it has to have a connection to sports. So even to this day, any interview that we do, you know, let's say with David Halberstam, you know, we talked about the, the book that he did on Michael Jordan. So that, that covers the sports angle of it. But you're right, what we really want is an hour of talk to talk about the arc of that guy's career. You know, Adam Sandler, not in sports. Billy Crystal, not in sports. Things like that. We definitely did expand it. But as long as you get that one or two questions on sports in, you're covered legally. Yeah, Paul Simon. I, I mean, Jay-Z obviously has a sports connection. They all sort of have a sports connection, but I love that you're able to kind of take it a little extra, um, and, and that that's fantastic. Did you ever, and, and I know, look, you're a guy with big dreams, did you ever imagine that center stage would take off the way that it has into this 
completely other identity where Michael K, yeah, you're a Yankee guy. Michael K, you're the best uh, broadcaster in New York. But Michael K, oh, yeah, he's the standard stage, standard stage guy. He's that guy. You know what? I, I didn't because this was, like, thrown in at the last moment. So they, you know, the guy, John Filippelli, his name is Flip, he hired me to do the play-by-play. And when he came up with Inside the Actors Studio for Sports, which became center stage, he had other people on his list because they said, we can't give this guy two things with the start of a network. It would be too much. So uh, he wanted to hire Jack Ford to do it. I don't know if you're familiar with Jack. And then Leslie Visser. And both of them could not get out of their present contracts to do it, thankfully. So then Flip turned to me and said, you know what? I think it might be too much, but we're going to give you both of these things, the Yankees and center stage. And I didn't know if it was going to last. I didn't even know if I was going to get it. And then when I got it, the first show ever, which is actually in the book, was Steve Young, and we taped it before the network even started on the air. And uh, Steve Young was three and a half hours late because of a driving snowstorm in New York, and he was in Bristol at ESPN, but he would not cancel. So um, if you ask me, like, waiting those three and a half hours, I didn't even know if the show would start after that point, but here we are 20 minutes later, 20 years later, and I'm thrilled because it's... It's been a very gratifying show to do. On the phone with Michael Kay, Yankees broadcaster, and his new book, Center Stage, My Most Fascinating Interviews from A-Rod to Jay-Z. Uh, Michael, what I liked about the book is is the commentary on the interviews. So when you're talking about the book, about interviews, you can't just write the interviews. Uh, was it a design, you know what, I'm going to give my insight to what the viewers missed during Center Stage and kind of what my insight is on the interviews themselves. Was that a, a design or were, were you talking and the publisher said, Hey, why don't you do this? Well, I, it was a design because I figured, you know, listen, if, if we just like give the transcript of the interviews, you know, a lot of these interviews still run on, on TV and you could go to the yes website and watch any of them. I said, well, that's not giving, you know, the reader who's paying money for the book, anything special. So I wanted to give my take, um, you know, compare where the person was when they did the interview to now and also the behind-the-scenes stuff. I've always been like a real observer. Uh, just I stand back and watch people. Like I, I watch these A-list people, how they treat people that are quote-unquote under them, and that gives me kind of an insight on what type of person they are. And I wanted to, I wanted to tell those stories. I wanted to say the guys that were great to people, the gals that were great to people, the people that weren't, you know, the people that were bad interviews. So I think that's that's really the crux of the book. And also, if you put um, a, a video interview in a, in a transcript. I really truly believe you get something more out of it because the flickering pictures that you're watching on TV and the audience laughing, sometimes you're going to miss some of the things they say. And if you put them in black and white, they also seem more stark in, in the light of day. So I thought that was important too, to just give it a different feel than just the video aspect of it. That's a good point. Very good point. You know, I think that Center Stage and you personally – really turned A-Rod into, from a villain, into the guy that's, uh, look, is sitting there doing Fox games all the time, right? When A-Rod was here with the Yankees, the fans kind of turned on him, and then baseball turned on him, and then baseball slapped him down. He was the villain. And it wasn't long ago that people just disliked him. I think your interviews and the way that you've treated him, the way that you've spoken about A-Rod, has brought him back into, hey, you know what? This guy's not a terrible guy. Do you get the same feeling? Well, I, I don't know if I could take credit for it because I think he is he is really – I've never seen this in my life, ever. Being in this business half my life, I've never seen somebody from rock bottom to this, ever. Uh, I, I joke with him. I call him Lazarot. I mean, he has really risen from the dead, and I don't know how he did it. I mean, they should teach a master's class on it in in colleges because – this guy was at rock bottom. He was suing baseball. He was suing the Yankees. And you're right. He was never really embraced by Yankee fans for the reason that he wasn't Derek Jeter. That was number one. And then number two, when everything started happening with the performance-enhancing drugs and his lying and then the suspension, you figured that was the last we were ever going to see him in public life. And now, you, you not, only don't, not only do you see him, but he's crossed over. I mean, he's on Shark Tank. He's really become... Uh, a very likable public figure, and I find it I find it absolutely amazing. Again, I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but he's a he's a better dude when you peel away the layers than when he's because there's a lot of times when he's interviewed that he's very practiced and very rehearsed, and I've told him that really hurts him. It really does. You know, there's nothing that he does in life that he doesn't think about three thousand times before he does it. I said, just sometimes, just be yourself. 
you know, people might like that, and occasionally he lets you in. Uh, Jeter was kind of the same way in a different light, though, the same thing, right? It was hard to kind of crack that shell of Jeter. I did an interview with him years ago. We're talking when I first started my career back in, like, 97. Um, and even then, at a very early age, he was a hard nut to crack as well. Do you believe that? Oh, my goodness. He's, I mean, he's one of the 240 interviews we've done on Standard Stage. He did not make the book because it just wasn't that revealing. And... You know, the, the thing I always say about Derek, and I like Derek a lot. You know, he's been very nice to me, and we've had a good relationship. I know his parents, but he's the type of guy, you knock on his door, right? He'll open the door, and he'll talk to you through the screen for three hours. He's never asking you in. He's just he's just very tight. You know, he the, he's got a, a circle of friends that he, he only trusts them. He doesn't let anybody else in. If you ever cross him, you're out forever. He doesn't forget. Uh, but with Derek, you know, th- there was just this veneer up, and he didn't give you much. But with Alex, Alex, because he came from a broken home, at least this is my dime store psychology, he wanted everybody to like him. So he would just morph into the person that he thought that the person that he was talking to wanted him to be. Derek was the same all the time. He just wasn't revealing, and there wasn't a bad side to him. He just didn't want you to know that much. And you know what? It worked out for him because 20 years in New York, never got into trouble once. No, he didn't, which is amazing because I know he was at the China Club a couple of times. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Michael K., New York Yankees broadcaster, ESPN New York radio personality, and he's got the new book, Center Stage, my most fascinating interviews from A-Rod to Jay-Z. You guys got to go check this out. Michael, we talked about the book, and I absolutely love it. I love the commentary. But I got to talk to you about the state of the Yankees. You just said that A-Rod is the guy that rises from the dead. I know this is probably more for your WWE-minded co-host in New York, but I feel like the Yankees, <laughs> I feel like they're the undertaker, and they're sitting up right now, right? I mean, that's what it feels like. This, this town was, that was it. They were dead. They were buried. They were over. The Yankees were done. And all of a sudden we go, yeah, it's late June and they're right back in this thing. Uh, talk to me about the state of the Yankees right now. Did you ever go, you know what? I don't know if they're getting up from this one. Well, I thought that they were in some trouble, but I, I think that's something that because we're in a different society now where everything is so immediate, we lose sight of the fact that baseball is a six month season. It's 162 games and you're going to have highs and lows. The thing that worried me about this team, Tom, is that they're so one-dimensional. They're not a really um, great roster. You know, they can only do one thing, and that's hit home runs. They don't run the bases well. Uh, they don't string together hits, and they're bad defensively. That's a bad combination. And I think that with pitching being as stout as it's been, where you know you go to the bullpen, one guy after another throwing 96 miles an hour, it was hard to hit. So either they hit home runs or they don't win. And because the pitching was so good, they were not hitting home runs, and they weren't getting base hits either. And the entire sport was like that. Um, and I think that the, the sticky stuff situation, that's going to help them because it's going to bring pitching down a notch. Now, you could say, well, it's also going to bring the Yankee pitching down a notch. Yeah, it will. But I think if they're hitting returns to the back of their baseball card, they can compete to make the playoffs. I mean, there's a possibility. I, I thought they were going to easily win the American League this year, easily. I looked at their roster, and I just misread it about where the game is right now. Uh, but uh, now there's a chance they might not make the playoffs. If I had a bet, though, I'd say they will because Gary Sanchez is at a resurgence. I think that Aaron Judge has quietly had a really, really good season. And I think other guys are starting to step in and, and chip in as well. So they got a chance because they've got a great bullpen. And the guy who's pitching tonight is uh, obviously Garrett Cole. He's still one of the best, even without the sticky stuff. So... I think they're in it. They're in it, uh, but they are not going to run away with it, not in this division. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, that. We talked to Brian Hoke, and he made a mention to the same thing. Oh, the sicky stuff is going to help the Yankees. I made the argument the same thing. Look, the Yankees are, are one of the top lowest scoring teams. That's impossible. It's going to help. Uh, so I'm really glad that you, you mentioned that. But I do want to get into the, the sticky stuff situation. Um, I know Major League Baseball is trying to make a, a production out of this, right? I mean, they're trying to really say, oh, look, we're, we're checking everyone in Darvish and DeGrom, walking off the mound and they're getting checked. But... Somehow or another, Garrett Cole kind of became the face of this, probably because of his bad interview uh, that he had, and he was kind of caught off guard. But really, you know, who is going to be the fall guy here? Is it going to continue to be Cole until someone's caught? And why is it Cole that kind of got the face of this? It shouldn't be Cole. I think it's unfair. Uh, I think that Josh Donaldson played a big role in it being Cole because, 
usually it's it's very un, unusual um, for a player to throw another player under the bus. So that was odd. Uh, and I think that Garrett in that interview, because Garrett's really smart. He's one of the best interviews I've ever seen. And I think he was caught between what he wanted to say and what he was advised to say. And he kind of stumbled and fumbled, and it didn't work good. It wasn't a good optic at all. Um, he's won two games. I would I would bet my life he's not using anything. He's a great pitcher whether he uses sticky stuff or not. And I think the only way he remains the face of this is if he's caught with it on his body, which I don't think he will be. He's a really smart guy. And I think there's a lot of people out there, the way baseball has done this, that are going to be unfairly victimized. Because the bottom line is the sticky stuff started for people to get a grip on the ball. And then it, then it started to be weaponized, where you can actually turn it into spin rate. And I think the guys that did that didn't think they were cheating. Because this rule has been on the books for decades, and they've never enforced it. Ever, ever, ever. So they said, okay, if we're allowed to use something on the ball, let's really use something that helps us be a better pitcher. And I, I'm sure that a lot of people have done it. Uh, Al Leiter said that since the beginning of time, 95% of pitchers have probably used some kind of substance just to get a better grip on a really slick baseball. So I thought that what happened yesterday, Tom, I don't know if you were watching, when they checked DeGrom, it's a great shame of Major League Baseball. It's a great shame. Because if you're going to check people, check people where there's a suspicion. Because Jacob DeGrom doesn't even have high spin rates at all. Check Jacob DeGrom if a ball comes out of play and it's full of sticky stuff on it. Don't check one of the best pitchers in the history of the game just because you're going to check everybody. It's an awful look, and, and, and baseball should be embarrassed by that. Check the people that people are suspicious about. No one has ever said a word about Jacob DeGrom actually putting a foreign substance on the ball, but still, he had to unbuckle his belt and take his cap off. It looked like a perp walk. It was awful. It's a bad look for baseball. It is. It looked like a TSA check. That's what I was saying. And and you're right. Like, DeGrom, he's chuckling about it because, you know, he's a good-natured guy, but it, it, it it's optics. And even even the punishment, Michael, right? Oh, yeah, you get 10-day uh, suspension, which means for a starting pitcher, if they push him back, he's going to miss one game. And with pay, one game. they just want to ruin reputation. And that's what they're going to do. Someone's going to get caught. And they're going to be the poster boy of, look, we ruined his reputation. And it's funny, the, the person gets paid. I think the second time, the, the, if they get caught a second time, it would be harsher. But the, t- the, the, the group that gets hurt is the team. Because you're without your starting pitcher and you can't replace him for those 10 days. So you're going to have to find another starting pitcher for that one game. And with starting pitching being the way it is, it's not that easy to do that. So uh, I, I, I agree with, it, with MLB stopping you know, spider tack and all that should have been done before the season. Never should be done in the middle of June. It's a joke. It, it, I love the sport like no other, and it just makes it, it makes the sport look minor. It makes it look terrible. Like, like you, you don't even know how to market your players. You want to besmirch Jacob DeGrom and Garrett Cole? These are the two best things you have going for you, and you're going to try to ruin their reputation? It doesn't make sense. Not at all. I completely agree. Guys, we're on the phone with Michael K. Check out the new book, Center Stage, my most fascinating interviews from A-Rod to Jay-Z. Uh, I'm going to ask you, look, in an interview setting, as you obviously know, you're going to try to set up your guests for success. Well, I'm going to ask you a question you can't answer. What is up with the triple plays, Michael? This is this is crazy. I know it's fluky, but it's crazy that you're watching games and all these triple plays, right? I don't get it. Uh, in my life, I mean, I've been obsessed with baseball since I was nine years old. I saw one triple play in my life, and that was Randy Velarde's uh, unassisted triple play. That was it. That's the only one I ever saw. Now I've called three and four, uh, two and four days, and three in three weeks. It's it's hard to believe. It tied the record, uh, and and the Yankees, you know, would would seem to me to be a team that would hit into triple plays because they do have traffic on the bases. Their guys aren't fast, and they hit the ball hard. I have no idea why they're turning triple plays. It makes no sense. I look forward to three more. Michael, three more. That's great. (laughs) Uh, Last question I want to ask you. Are we underrating the idea that Zach Britton and Darren O'Day are going to come back to help this bullpen? Because I know everyone's talking about Luke Voigt coming back. Sure. We're talking Starling Marte, maybe uh, Kettle Marte coming over in a trade. And we're talking trades. And I'm going, wait a minute. They have two huge bullpen pieces coming back. Are people just not giving the Yankees credit for who they absolutely have returning while they're trying to look at trade targets? I think it's important, and maybe it opens up some of the people that are in the bullpen to be traded for some of the things they need. They need a lefty bat in the outfield. But I guess the reason that people aren't getting that excited about it is that the way it's presently constituted, the Yankee bullpen is one of the best in baseball. It's a a real weapon. 
the thing that really hurt them, Tom, to me, is Severino pulling his groin. Because that was going to be the big acquisition. Yeah. That was going to be the thing. Hey, we're going to get a number one or two starter and not have to give anything up. Now, I think the Yankees would be very fortunate to see him by the end of August. So that was a big blow. Because these are guys that are pitching innings that they didn't pitch last year. It's a big concern. It was a 60-game season. None of them really gave them anywhere close to 200 innings. Because they couldn't. There weren't enough games. And the Yankees were counting on a guy like Luis Severino, to ride in on the rescue. Now they're going to cross their fingers and hope that Corey Kluber comes back because that could be the guy that rides in on the rescue and then have two months of rest uh, after he didn't pitch. But once he, I think he had one inning over the last two years. I know I said the last question, but I'm going to just tail off on this. Is there any chance that Max Scherzer is here? Are the Yankees that brazen to say, we worry about Kluber, worry about Severino, we got to go get Max? I don't see the Nationals trading him. The Nationals just you know, took a series against the Mets. And I, I, I truly believe this, Tom. Yankee fans don't want to hear it. They're not going over the luxury threshold. They're just not. So they're at 206 right now. The threshold's 210. If you get Max Scherzer, that's going to be way more than $4 million. Unless you give the Nationals, like, all of your best young talent in the minors and, have, and they pay the rest of his salary. That's the way they're going to have to pull a move. I just don't think they're going to go over 110 or 210. And you mentioned Debbie Garcia. I mean, you mentioned Luis Severino. I mentioned Debbie Garcia. They expected something bigger out of him as well. I don't think pitching is is on the paramount because, as you said, a left-handed bat. But, man, they, they do. I think they need that arm. I think you're right. Guys, Michael, you've been absolutely fantastic with your time. Guys, it's Michael K. New York Yankees broadcaster. you got to go check out the book, guys. It's center stage, my most fascinating interviews from A-Rod to Jay-Z. The commentary in here is fantastic, and I do want to congratulate Michael K because he has taken over New York sports. When I was growing up, it was the just impossible to take down WFAN and, and what they were. I was there in the infancy of ESPN Radio, so I love to see you know my friends and people that are still working in the business doing well. And Michael K, you've taken the show and you have absolutely dominated New York. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for oh, your time thank today. You. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Guys, that was Michael K. And, and that's good stuff. I love the fact that we had Brian. Hoke on last week, okay, and he mentioned that the spider tack and the sticky stuff and whatever you want to call it, I keep calling it sticky stuff and everybody else seemingly does too because that's what you have to call it. But he went to that, you know what, it's going to help the Yankees. It's going to help the Yankee bats. And Michael Kay repeated that. And that is something you guys have to make sure that you understand. The Yankees are a team that right now, I know they got the big bats, I get it, but they're struggling offensively. This might help them and might kickstart them. They're playing well, but the offense getting into that high gear, getting into that next level, going that extra distance, it's coming, guys. That offense is absolutely on its way, on its way to beat all of these numbers that the lines makers are going to start putting out because they're going to automatically adjust like they always do. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick timeout. Come on back. Lots more right after this. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, it looks like Ben Simmons is getting all the brunt of why Philly's out of the playoffs. And we have some odds. Where will he play next season? Philadelphia 76ers plus 190. Portland is 4-1 to one odds. The Washington Wizards come in at 6-1. to one. The Lakers are 6.5-1. to one. San Antonio 8-1. to one. The Utah Jazz 10-1. to one. Minnesota, Indiana, Toronto, and Chicago Bulls all 11-1. to Where will Ben Simmons play next season? That is what are the odds. Yo, guys, I got to be honest with you. You look at Ben Simmons and you go, there's no way he's coming back to Philly. There's just no way. Plus 190 doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. He's not coming back to Philly. They have to move on from him. I know it's hard to kind of go against a team he's currently on. Portland is more of a speculation that Damian Lillard is coming over than it is uh, he would be a fit there. Washington, well, you know, not with Westbrook. He would have to kind of be moved over. And we know that the Lakers are trying to court Russell Westbrook. Everybody liked uh, him and AD. LeBron and AD liked Russell Westbrook's wife's Instagram, and it's a whole thing, right? The Lakers uh, at six and a half. Look. I wouldn't throw a dollar on that. I don't think he fits there. San Antonio, 8-1. to one. All right. I could see it. Maybe Popovich is able to squeeze something out of an old-school guy like a Ben Simmons. Utah Jazz, 10-1. to one. He doesn't fit there. Imagine on the court, offensively challenged Rudy Gobert and offensively challenged Ben Simmons. Unless you're making Ben Simmons a backup, and at that price, you're not. 
And then you got Minnesota, Indiana, Toronto, the Bulls. All right, I could see him going to one of these teams because they need that that guy. But I don't see an absolute fit. And as a matter of fact, I've heard Golden State in the mix. I've heard the New York Knicks in the mix. I'm going to be honest with you. Look, Ben Simmons is going to be out of town in Philly. I think we know that. I think we know Ben Simmons is going to be out of town. I don't see a fit for him. I don't see that obvious fit that all of a sudden you look at and you say, what do they need? They need a defensive player that's an offensive liability, and that's exactly what he is. And I mentioned Rudy Gobert. Look, Rudy Gobert is not an offensive liability. He's just not an offensive asset. Ben Simmons is an offensive liability. Do you believe he's got the talent? Can you squeeze more out of him? Do you believe it's just the Philly process? Do you believe it's playing with Embiid? Do you believe? And that's what it's going to be. You have to have this guy for a max contract for the next four years with a hope and a prayer and a belief. Because the constituted Ben Simmons right now, I don't care what he can be, the constituted Ben Simmons right now, today, is a massive offensive liability that cannot shoot the three, cannot shoot the mid-range jumper, cannot hit a dunk at this point, and he cannot hit foul shots. He is an offensive liability. In the best world and best-case scenario, he's your third or fourth best player. And, and, and maybe maybe even further down the trough. Maybe, maybe he's your fifth best player. I've heard Golden State. I, it makes sense, but do you want him and Draymond on the same team? You know, I've uh, again, I've heard Portland. That has to constitute a Dame trade. Washington has to be a Russell Westbrook trade. So you're asking dominoes to fall to make this bet. I don't see a bet. I don't see a, any angle here to make a conscious bet for me. So I'm laying off. I'm laying off of where will Ben Simmons play next season. We're talking everything in the world of sports. Well, let me read this. The Supreme Court on Monday ruled unanimously that the NCAA may not place limits on education-related benefits student-athletes can receive for playing college sports. Chief Justice uh, Brett Kavanaugh said the bottom line is that NCAA and its members are suppressing the pay of student-athletes who collectively generate billions of dollars in revenues for colleges every year. Those enormous sums of money flow to seemingly everyone except the student-athletes. So to break this all down with me, host of Believe in Sports Law on the Believe Podcast Network, founder and managing attorney at California Sports Lawyer, Jeremy Evans. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. You know, Jeremy, this is something that we've been talking about forever. We've been knowing that it's coming down. We knew the ruling was coming down. The ruling came down, and I still feel like a lot of the country is confused of exactly what this means. So can you break it down for us? Absolutely. Yeah. So I would say that it really maybe three important points would be Number one, what this does is this opens up a scheme or a threshold uh, for which student athletes can profit off their name, image, and likeness, and and it and it introduces secondly a a scheme for which colleges can compete for student athletes, and then I think the third thing is is that it introduces or at least encourages sports leagues to look at different ways to get talent, specifically the NBA and the NFL. Because up until this point, the NBA and the NFL have relied on the NCAA and colleges to recruit talent. But of course, if there's going to be limitations there, there's going to be, um, you know, sort of smaller schools or even bigger schools looking for ways to uh, recruit these players and whether money is an issue, that sort of thing. Uh, I think it just opens up opportunities for, like, for example, the overtime elite league. Uh, so there's going to be, I think, potential for a lot of innovation. But I think. Number one overall take is that essentially the Supreme Court is saying uh, schools cannot limit uh, how much that uh, they pay student athletes in a collective way, because uh, that's essentially it's an antitrust issue of saying schools cannot say, OK, collectively, we're only going to pay them, you know, a thousand dollars or whatever. So they can't do that. So that just provides for a lot of opportunities for schools to compete for talent. Uh, Jeremy, one of the things that I heard right away is, well, the big schools, they could just buy. It. Oh, you know what? Here's a car. Come to our school. You know what? They're going to say, oh, I will buy off your mom's house. Just come to our school. That's not at all what this is, right? I don't think so. I think this is more like if a student is, is looking at, it's like any negotiation. If, you know, you're offered a job, you know, and it's like, okay, one's paying 5000 and the other is paying 3000 you know, you're going to, you're going to weigh those options. You're going to say, okay, well, one has got warm weather, but one is paying more money. So I think what it really comes down to is how much more scholarship money is it going to be given? 
I think the NCAA will probably institute rules that uh, sort of reflect this and will say, or even the schools themselves will say, you know, you can't give in-kind gifts, but you can have, you know, you can increase scholarship money. I think that's what is what that really is saying. What about the idea of endorsements? Um, the college athletes, we remember Reggie Bush and all of that. Uh, the college athletes with endorsements is something that I think can get into a dangerous territory because look, Oregon is basically owned by Nike, right? I mean, you can get into a tough decision-making where if you're the NCAA, how do you limit that? So where does endorsements fall with this? Right. No. And I, I, you know, I kind of see this decision by the Supreme court and what's going on with NIL, you know, uh, sponsorships and that sort of thing, kind of in the same capacity, because I think that the Supreme court, you know, ultimately in their decision, they're looking at this and they're saying, okay, you know, if we had this discussion 30 years ago, before schools were making millions of dollars from broadcast and selling those rights, and before uh, the advent of social media, uh, before we were signing, you know, million dollar, you know, multi-million dollar apparel deals for the school, you know, I think that this having this argument of student, should that student athletes be paid, we'd be like, no. But I think all Pandora's box in that way by allowing for some of those deals to come through, which is fine to make money, but then on the same token to turn around and say, oh, but you as a student athlete can't, you know, can't make money. So I think this to me just makes makes sense that these folks should be able to go out and profit off their name, image, and likeness. And I think even though this Supreme Court decision did not uh, directly talk about NIL, to me, it they're all related because ultimately the Supreme Court is saying. Um, you can't limit or at least collectively limit what these students are getting paid. So, and I think schools in their, you know, for whatever reason might sit back and I think they'd be wise to say, okay, well, if we're struggling for money or we can't pay all these top athletes in terms of recruiting them for scholarships, well, then maybe we allow, we have a very sort of uh, open market NIL law that says, you know, you can go out and profit. We won't take any of your money. So uh, I think that's if schools are smart, that's what they're going to do. You know, it's funny because you say name, image and likeness and everyone goes, well, NCAA, EA sports football. You know, you start thinking about that. Uh, my mind automatically goes to, well, what is the new rule of law here in the sports world? And that is sports betting. Uh, DraftKings, FanDuel, the big boys. Could you get money from them? Could you imagine a college athlete you know, a quarterback of Alabama getting paid by a betting site for his name, image, and likeness, all of a sudden you open up that can of marbles or can of worms and those marbles come pouring out. Jeremy, is that something that you have to worry about? I don't think so because I think there's going to be, and if you look at like even California's Fair Play to Play Act, Fair Pay to Play Act or Georgia's law uh, that they just passed, I mean, in in both of those, there's restrictions on what the athletes can do. So in California's, you cannot compete with the underlying school deal. So for example, a student athlete would not be able to wear Nike gear if the school is signed up to an Adidas contract, right? Something like that. In Georgia's law, it's much more specific and it says that there's moral obligations. So you can't sign gambling deals. You can't sign deals with alcohol you know, companies, with cannabis companies, that sort of thing. So there's going to be limitations. Sports betting would be in that same thing. I imagine that even if the law, because generally the way the law works is that it provides a threshold and then the individual schools and universities and conferences can set further guidelines. And it, I imagine those guidelines will say no sports betting deals, that sort of thing. Now, whether that's right or wrong, but I think that's just in terms of the school environment, uh, they would have the opportunity to do that, to limit that. Um, because, you know, you can always go to another school or, um, you know, enter into those deals at a later point. But I think the schools are going to limit the sports betting and any of the sin industries, if you will. So when we're saying name, image, and likeness, what are we talking about then? Are we talking about just the video games? Or are we also talking about uh, magazines, things like that? What about jersey sales? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, there was a law that was passed in, um, or not passed, but discussed in the state of New York. And... And obviously, when you think about New York, you don't really think about college sports, think about professional sports. But for the most part, um, that's not normally a state you think about for, for college sports, at least in terms of college football. But 
I, I think it's one of those things where what we're really looking at is you're going to have maybe some of these lower level. So let's say like the smaller schools or even with bigger schools. And you look at some of these athletes, maybe the starting left tackle or the sixth man on a team on a, on a basketball team. Maybe they're signing with a local like car dealership and they're doing some social media promotion because really the, the whole thing of this, that social media made this possible. Uh, in, in my mind, being social media and streaming and the sort of this direct access to consumer, because before it was like the broadcast is really worried about what brands are on there uh, and they're paying for advertising. That's like, and what content are they showing? But I think social media provides these little opportunities to have like a direct to consumer, like your own broadcast sort of television station. So I think on the lower level, you're going to see like deals with car dealerships. At the mid-level, you'll probably see, you know, deals with up-and-coming brands. Um, and then maybe at the higher level with the starting quarterback, starting running back, starting five of a basketball team, you might see some larger shoe apparel deals, that sort of thing, partnerships with companies. But um, I think people are going to be surprised about maybe how much money is paid to the top athletes and how, how little money is paid to the lower level. But it's going to be an interesting uh scheme to say the say the least tom barton here sitting in with sports attorney jeremy evans go check him out host in the believe in sports law on the believe podcast network founder and managing attorney at california sports lawyer all right jeremy there's not everybody uh that is just happy about this decision len elmore and walter harrison uh, they're worried walter harrison is former chairman of the ncaa board of governors former president of hartford university also a member of the knights commission len elmore former nba college basketball player everybody knows him co-chair the independent knights commission on intercollegiate athletics they're not happy about this really they're, they're kind of out there and saying kind of what we've been talking about i think this opens up a lot more questions um what is your take with, with them? Do they have a standing here? Do, does it make some sense that this could be a bad thing? Yeah, and I think those questions are fair, right? Because I think there's probably a few concerns. The first is, okay, does this create a market for competition, which is not necessarily a bad thing, um, but there are concerns with that. I think at the end of the day, the the sort of bigger name athletes were not going to go to the smaller schools anyway. But maybe if they can come up with some booster money to increase the scholarship, you know, maybe that uh, allows for some more competition in terms of where these athletes, you know, choose to go to school. But it does present some challenges, especially when you consider the financing of all this, because uh, there's clearly evidence that that men's basketball and football are the real money makers and drivers for college sports. And, for example, Georgia's law is a perfect example of this. They're going to be pooling, I think, 74% of the money that's collected by the top athletes at their school and giving it to the other athletes inside of the school and, and the other programs. So I think there's evidence there about there already being, you know, sort of a limit on what money can be given. Uh, that being said, I think competition allows for some innovation. I think if schools are smart, they're going to open up NIL opportunities and say, let's work together on this. Let's bring deals to the students because ultimately those deals are going to highlight the school anyway, because, you know, they're going to associate the school with the athlete and vice versa. Um, but there are some concerns with this. I think the one thing I would say to, to the quote that you mentioned is that um, obviously amateurism is being redefined. We need to figure out what that means. But I, I think that innovation is a huge part of this, as I mentioned earlier with social media. But I think the other part of this is that, when you look at um, sort of what schools can do to innovate or, um, or frankly, what leagues can do to innovate. Because if the NBA or the NFL, for example, were to remove the one and done rule and the junior rule and maybe even create a minor league, we wouldn't even maybe be having this discussion, right? Because it's those rules that prevent the students from actually getting into the pros earlier. So I think that, um, again, there's going to be like, for example, the Overtime Elite League, which is going to pay high school athletes. So there's already a model being introduced where you can take student athletes out of the scholastic sort of, um, you know, sort of model and put them into a, a, a pay-to-play model. So we'll see how that plays out. 
Jeremy, one of the things that I've said uh, time and time again, and my advice to sports bettors out there all the time, is don't bet on mid-majors. Sure, it's fun to bet on Boise State and hope they get an undefeated season, or Central Florida puts up their own banner and says, hey, we're the national champions. But the reality is is that mid-majors, especially in football, simply can't compete. And in, in, in NCAA basketball, yeah, field of 64, everyone's got a shot. Well, no, eight seeds don't win, seven seeds don't win. So the mid-majors to me and the smaller schools, from a betting standpoint, I'm going, don't go near it because they really don't have a chance. Well, they really don't have a chance when you really break it down. Is this going to separate it even more? Is a rule like this going to separate the mid-majors and the small schools even further from the big boys? You know, that's a good question. And I think that the law of competition would say the opposite, meaning that if you and I are both competing in an industry, and let's say that, you know, you're, you're, you're the big player, right? You've got all the money, you've got the industry, you're the first mover, like you, you've been doing it for years, right? But if I came along and I began to compete with you and I somehow got fundraising or got money in play to pay for the best talent, then I could then compete with you. Because you see currently under the rule, and this is a part of the problem with antitrust, is that if you have two businesses and they collude with each other to say, we're only going to charge this much, we're only going to give this much, well, then the student athlete, for example, would only have a choice between let's go to this smaller school that's going to pay me the same as this bigger school, but I'll have more exposure at the bigger school. Well, if you now all of a sudden change the model to say this smaller school can pay me more money in scholarship, well, then I think that changes the narrative, right? So I think if anything, it creates more competition and I think it opens some things up. We're on the phone with Jeremy Evans. Host of Believe in Law, Sports Law on the Believe Podcast Network. Jeremy, who is the biggest beneficiary of this and who is the biggest loser? Yeah, really good question. Um, biggest beneficiary, I think, are brands. Brands get an opportunity to work with the, you know, athletes directly. I think from the NIL standpoint, even though the Supreme Court decision wasn't directly related to that, but I think that this provides for that. I think the students, again, benefit because they're going to get more scholarship dollars and more opportunities. I think universities benefit because they're either going to take a percentage or work with these student athletes to broker these deals, or at least they're going to get more exposure. I think the broadcast uh, will, you know, sort of help. I think social media will benefit. I guess the one sort of party in this that has a chance to be a winner, but uh, currently is not showing itself to be that is the NCAA. Um, uh, they, you know, have an opportunity to really innovate here and move with the market, but um you know, we'll see. Currently, that's 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 not been the case. Finally, I'm going to ask you to uh, do what I do here, and that's a uh, you know, look into the future, and, and let's try to try to make a bet into the future. What is the likely outcome? Where are we in five years with all this? Give me a landscape view of what the sports world and the college athletic world is in five years, maybe ten years from now. No, good question. I would say we'll probably have 50 individual state laws, or we'll have you know maybe I don't know if it'll be all 50, but We'll have state laws when it comes to name, image, and likeness. I think it's like anything else. Some some states like sports betting. Some don't. Some have laws in place. Some don't. So we'll have options there for students. So I think that'll be in terms of the threshold. I think individual universities uh, will and conferences might have their own specific rules to name, image, and likeness and what they can offer student athletes. I think we're going to have some additional sports leagues introduced. Uh, particularly minor league variety where you can have uh, through the ranks, much like in baseball uh, and in uh, hockey and soccer. I think you're going to see a lot more sports betting deals and you're going to see some integrity stuff being introduced. And I also think lastly, you're probably going to have, like for example, the college football playoffs increasing likely from um, what, four to 12 teams. I think you're going to see college colleges, universities, conferences begin to act a lot more like, professional sports leagues for better or worse all right jeremy thank you very much guys that's sports attorney jeremy evans go check him out it's host in the believe sports law on the believe podcast network founder and managing attorney a california sports lawyer thank you very much jeremy you know guys i i have to say that in in most cases you have to root for this 100 percent college athletes uh you know the stipend that they get is kind of ridiculous if you know how much that the schools make off of them. Forget about just the ticket sales, which is pretty amazing. I mean, think about if you have a star player, okay? Steve Young, uh, you know, BYU is somebody that is massive for a smaller school, and you put him on the cover 
of the program. They're selling programs. You put them on the tickets for the year. They're selling tickets. Now you get jerseys. Now you, and they don't get anything. The, the boost up. This is good for everybody. And, you know, Judge Kavanaugh saying exactly what he said is, is just fantastic. Basically, the billions of dollars are flowing to everyone except for the people that are really uh, putting the product out there, which is reality. But there are a lot of pitfalls that I tried to touch on that I worry about. And I mentioned the sports betting aspect, and so did Jeremy, because I do think that it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope where we have states actually saying, you can't even bet on in-state colleges. And now they're kind of pulling back on that. When we had David Dancy's on, and he told us about New Jersey, they're betting to go, no, no, you guys can bet on on in-state colleges. All right. Well, that's good for us in the sports betting world, but the integrity thing does kind of come up. I don't want, in 10 years from now, um, the Ohio State quarterback being sponsored by DraftKings or FanDuel or MGM or any of them or Caesar. I, I don't want that. I still look at college sports as pure. I like college basketball more because it's a purer game. I like college football um, up until the bowl games. I like that pure aspect. I do also believe, I know that Jeremy said maybe, he you know, kind of didn't agree with me. I believe the separation is even greater. From a sports betting world, I've told people for years, do not bet on those mid-majors to make something happen. Because we watched it recently. Look, at you, Boise State was the first one on the scene. Louisville did it a little bit, and then all of a sudden, it was UCF. You could go undefeated, you could play a good, solid schedule, and you're not even being invited to the to the four. And now people go, oh, it's going to expand to 12. It is going to expand to 12. But I still don't see a mid-major, if that's what you want to call it, making any noise. I think that this actually separates it more. I think that it, from a betting aspect, the big guys are only going to get bigger. Now, you'll have a couple of new guys on the block. Like, I expect Nebraska to probably um, really elevate their program. Teams that, and teams in schools, Texas, that have a flow of money, now we're going to be able to get more recruits. But those top, let's call them 20 teams in the country, it's going to be hard to crack them. It's going to be hard to compete if they could give better things now. It's not just the campus. It's not just the name on the back. It's not just the coach. It's not just the weather. Now it's who's going to pay me more. And, you know, Jeremy alluded to that. Who's going to give me more compensation? For a lot of these young kids, money speaks. I mean, look, for all of us it does. But for young kids that are coming up from nothing, wow, I get that much money. I don't care that my dad played for this school. I don't care that this school has a better coach. I don't care that I'm going to be benched. It doesn't matter to me. just want the cash. And I don't want this to become a cash grab. So, good. I'm happy for the, the ruling. But I worry about where we're going. Where we're going is bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, to the, the future. future. Bet to the future. All right, guys, I have Aaron Rodgers' odds. Yeah, well, it's come out. We know the Aaron Rodgers conversation, and now the odds are out. Will he stay in Green Bay? Well, will he stay in Green Bay? Coming back to the Packers is minus 225, so he's a pretty big favorite there. The Broncos, plus 275. Think he's going to Vegas? You get 5-1 to one odds back. Dolphins, well, that's 7-1 to one odds back. That is Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay, and that is bet to the future. You know, guys, look, um, I- I've talked about Aaron Rodgers quite a bit. You guys know my feelings on Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't get along with his family, doesn't get along with coaches, doesn't get along with head coaches, doesn't get along with general managers, doesn't get along with wide receivers, doesn't get along with tight ends, doesn't get along with some offensive linemen, doesn't get along with assistant coaches. He's a hard guy to get along with on and off the field. He's just that guy. And in any other walk of life, um, Aaron Rodgers you know, would just be that guy. Yeah, kind of a jerk. Eh, it's just kind of kind of who he is. But through it all, I just don't think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere. I, I see minus 225 is actually a favorite kind of play of mine. I don't think he's going anywhere. If this was before the draft, I could see it, maybe. It takes a little while for fans to absorb losing a guy like Aaron Rodgers. It takes a little while for them to, to suck it in. So if Aaron Rodgers got traded right before the draft, what do you say? Oh, man, I can't we got rid of Aaron Rodgers. But five months down the line before opening day, you go, all right, well, we got rid of Rodgers, but look at how many draft picks we got. You know, we're rolling with Jordan Love. He looks good in training camp. All right, I'm not happy about it, 
but I accept it. Two 13 and three seasons back to back. I know we're not going to be good this year, but but I think they set up uh, set us up well. Uh, okay, I'm back to the Packers. If you trade him now, that shock factor comes into the regular season, and there's no amount. They could get five first rounders. It doesn't matter. There's no amount of first rounders that'll make it easier on the team and the fan base this year at 13 and three, 13 and three, and then six wins, five wins. You know, it's just not going to make it any easier. And the Packers are in a no-lose situation. If the Packers put a front of, hey, look, Winner's not getting rid of Aaron Rodgers now. And Aaron goes out and he plays an MVP level. They win another 13 games. Uh, they go to the playoffs. They look really good. Well, what do the Packers say? Oh, this is why we did. We couldn't let him go. We tried to mend every fence. We love Aaron. He's the best. We love him, right? And then if they want to trade him after the year, look, he still wants to go. We got one more year out of him. We thought we could make it work. Um, and now his draft capital is really high. Packers win. And then they have the other side of the coin. Aaron Rodgers starts to show decline. He has a bad year because he's kind of a jerk, right? Has a bad year. Doesn't uh, perform well. And the Packers go, oh, it's not our fault. Well, look, we tried to keep him. We thought he'd be an MVP again. It's not our fault that he didn't care out there. It's not our fault that, you know, he didn't perform well. And automatically it's going to be a because Aaron Rodgers doesn't care whether it's true or not. And then after the season, Aaron Rodgers is still only a year removed from the MVP. They could go trade him. And then fans go, yeah, well, he wasn't going to play well when he's here. He just didn't want to be here. Oh, so we have all of this. The Green Bay Packers are in a win-win situation. Minus 225 is a hefty number. Hefty number. I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't think he's going to Denver. I, I don't see Vegas at this far down. I, don't, I certainly don't see Miami making a deal into July. No, it's not going to happen. He's going to play for the Green Bay Packers on opening day because I'm calling his bluff just like Green Bay's calling his bluff. Opening day, Aaron Rodgers is under center for Green Bay. I'll take the minus 225. All right, guys, thank you very much to Jeremy Evans. Thank you again. Big thank you to Michael K. Guys, remember what Michael K. said? Remember last week what Brian Hoke said? Oh, yes, that's right. The Yankee overs are going to start coming in. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.